I'm Carl Atrell and this is Teletext People. Teletext People is a podcast that focuses on the history of Teletext, the people who made it tick, the people who worked at the Teletext services and now the people that keep the Teletext medium going long after its switch off in Great Britain in 2012. Paul Rose is one of the UK's most experienced writers for film and television and for over 20 years he's been writing scripts for film and TV. As one of the UK's leading writers of children's TV, he was co-creator and lead writer for Almost Never, The Four O'Clock Club, Danny's House and Danny's Castle for children's BBC. And he's also written extensively for adults including Sky One Stella and EastEnders. He's been nominated for BAFTA three times, including for Best Writer at the 2017 BAFTA Children's Award and won a Sony Academy Award for his work on the Christian O'Connell Breakfast Show. In a previous life, writing under the name of Mr Biffo, he was one of the UK's top video game journalists, editing the legendary Teletext video games Digitizer. Paul was kind enough to spare me some time to tell me all about his Teletext career. And first of all, I started by asking Paul what his first recollections of Teletext were. Uh, There's a difference between what actually was my first and my first memory of it, because I don't remember discovering it for the first time. Uh, You know, I don't remember when we first got a Teletext TV or anything like that, but I first remember using it mainly for the teen pages with Oracle back in the sort of mid to late 80s i didn't really use it until i think i had some friends that i used to regularly do role playing with we used to play sort of dungeons and dragons and all that and we kind of started i guess egging each other on on um on those pages which was what was it called was it called buzz i think the team pages on oracle mm-hmm. something like that and we used to uh egg each other on to ring up this hotline that they had where you could leave a message on an answering machine and i think one of them had done it and got the, a message on air and so then of course we all were like oh oh that's awesome look we got our name in print on on the tv and i think that as i remember it was the first time i started using teletext was to ring up oracle's teen <laughs> teen pages hotline leave stupid messages on, on an answer machine and then see if the next day if they 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 got on and lo and behold i did get a few on air uh weirdly the guy that um who used to run those pages gareth herrings ended up working at teletext i think we're friends on uh on twitter now um and so uh that was it really and i i got hooked from from that and and started using it i guess sort of regularly and of course being because as i was uh you know back back when i was a teenager i loved to sort of draw and i was interested in kind of computer art and all the rest of it i i i was fascinated with the cartoons that were on there so you had like barney's bunch uh i was always really impressed with 40 by um god what's his name the guy that did 40 the dog that fella he, he, oh, oh oh swerve ian irving um and that's him swerve that was what he always signed it by and because i mean his style was my style that i would eventually gravitate towards was much more sort of influenced by barney's bunch because you know sort of big which was about badger but sort of big kind of bold characters and and sort of clever use of of you know the sort of all the different features but it, ian's 40 the dog 
on the foretail service was really clean and kind of almost sort of geometric uh, but it he would pack so much story into a single page of teletext and i was always fascinated by that how he managed to do it so i just used to browse it um and then the next sort of big watershed moment that i remember using teletext was was when the iraq war happened the first gulf war um and i remember waking up sort of one early morning my daughter wasn't very old and i woke up to give her her feed in the night and put the teletext news pages on and i remember the headline reading um the liberation of kuwait has begun and thinking oh shit that's it this is our, our this is world war three you know i've just got a you know, new baby daughter in my arms literally right now and and what sort of world am i bringing her into and i just remember that so clearly sort of middle of the night and seeing this really sort of stark headline um so yeah they were they were they were the sort of big moments that i remember really um and i don't you know like most people back in the 80s it it was teletext was sort of magic to me and kind of alchemy it was it felt so futuristic you know kind of having computer text on the my tv and not only that but i could interact with it by you know pressing reveal um and uh that, that in itself felt you know oh wow i'm interfacing with the machine here it was it was you know it, it, to a to our generation it was just i don't know it was it, it it the first time you see it, it was just sort of mind-blowing really you know you didn't need a, a bbc model b you know to display these amazing graphics as such as they were but um and then and then weirdly i actually had partly because i was so hooked on these teen pages and the music pages that that i i actually had an ambition to write a, a teletext magazine and i thought how cool would that be you know they're daily or you can update it in real time and you know people write into you or leave messages on an answer machine and all that and that seemed really cool so uh lo and behold you know something like that did actually happen so yeah how, how did you um how did you end up actually working for um for, for the computer in your front room well um I was working at, at Labbrooks Racing as their graphic designer and um, I started there I'm really young. It was my first job out of school. Uh, I dropped out of college, so I never finished my A-levels and I got a job at Labbrook Racing because my cousin worked there and said to me, um, oh, they're looking for a graphic designer. And she uh, and she said, would you be interested? And I said, oh, well, yeah, wow, that sounds amazing, doing kind of, you know, computer art or whatever the hell it was. I didn't understand fully what the job was. And so she went to them and said, my cousin's a really good drawer. Um, you know, can he, can he have an interview? So I just went in with all these drawings that I'd done, and they sat me down at a computer. And the, the system they had, it was called LES, LES, uh, which stood for Labrooks Electronic Service, I believe. Um, and it wasn't teletext, but it wasn't far off. Um, it had, it was slightly more complex than teletext. It had sort of slightly higher resolution. Uh, it was, um, it had all these sort of custom characters. So you didn't just have the standard kind of teletext, uh, is it six pixel block? There were sort of custom characters like sort of 
you know uh, diagonal shapes uh and you could mix colors you could mix yellow and red to get orange but you could only do that in a solid block of color and so um they got me playing around with that and then i got the job there and then of course labbrooks had um pages on oracle as it was back then and it was sort of only really a matter of time that i then had to start providing graphics for oracle um or the teletext or sorry the lab books oracle pages and i remember i went to oracle's head office and they sort of showed me how it was sort of run there and someone gave me a quick rundown of the of the way it worked um and so that's where i learned how to do teletext graphics then from lab books i went to work on the wembley stadium scoreboard which was um it wasn't that that different to teletext in that it was all pixels again very large pixels you know literally kind of pixels you know were the pixels on the on the scoreboard were literally just light bulbs uh, it was bizarre when you we one of the things we had to do as part of the job was to go up and change the pixels which was literally you you had to go to the top of Wembley Stadium walk across this really narrow gangplank that was about 150 feet off the ground um yeah i mean like literally this thing was it was a plank you know imagine you know you, you walk a plank kind of off the side of a pirate ship it was it was that narrow um with a really flimsy kind of handrail <laughs> and then you go into the scoreboard itself and you had to work out you had to identify which light bulb had gone out which pixel was dead and then reach around and literally just unscrew it and screw a new one back in um so it was like kind of physical teletext in a way uh and um so it was sort of again still sort of staying in that that same sort of uh genre of kind of very low resolution graphics became i guess my um stock in trade and then um and then I worked there for a while, you know, doing animations that said goal and, you know, all these sorts of bizarre things and literally scoring kind of football matches. You know, we would have to sit there and put in a score when someone scored, which was ridiculous because we couldn't actually see the pitch where our scoreboard office was. So we either we, we knew when a goal was scored because we'd hear the audience kind of roar. And then uh, we used to have Sky Sports on and they would register the goal kind of you know about three four four five seconds after the audience erupted and then we'd just get the score off of sky sports it was ridiculous we didn't have any clue who would have scored at any point you know we were getting it off the telly um so from there then i got um i got a call from someone that i work with at um at lab brooks whose flatmate was working for teletext which had obviously landed the the teletext franchise um from oracle and they were looking for a graphic designer and i went and had a job interview and that was it really and i ended up being i think initially the only member of staff on an ongoing contract everyone else was on kind of short-term contracts and i you know such is the arrogance of youth or rather i think more in my case the ignorance of youth that um they told me they were going to give me like a three-month contract or six-month contract and i said no i don't want that um and they said okay uh i went and they said can you wait outside a minute and i waited outside of the 
with the it was the editor and um, graham lovelace who at the time was the deputy editor and then they called me back in five minutes later and said okay we'll give you an ongoing contract and i was the only person there with any kind of job security because no one knew whether teletext was going to fail or not but um anyway so um so yeah so that was it really and then I, so i was doing graphics at teletext for um you know in the run-up to the launch and I mean, this is a story I've told many times on many different podcasts, probably when you and I have chatted before, Carl. Uh, and, you know, it, what happened was they were asking, they asked everyone, can you think of any sort of sections that we're missing on the service? And I pitched the idea of a, of a video games page, which they currently then weren't doing, or they had a single page. And I suggested a magazine, you know, this being 1992 going into 93 when you know sonic the hedgehog was at his height and you know sega and nintendo were you know all over all over the media um and john holmes the the then editor said um, all right well you can write it then with this chap that was writing for the team pages called tim moore um and so i ended up juggling doing the graphics for teletext with writing the video game magazine which we called digitizer um which some people may have heard of um he says ominously yeah and, and uh, there's plenty of um there's plenty of people that do fondly remember digitizer and there's plenty of uh, pages that have been recovered i know that you'd never admit it yourself but um testimony to how good uh, the pixel art can be on on such a such a restricted format where yeah where you can get some of your famous characters um you know sort of represented in a, in like an eight by eight grid of um of 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 sixels yeah i mean i some of those i look back on now uh even i'm sort of surprised how well they work there's um there's a graphic out there from of i think of the beatles <laughs> um that i drew of the beatles the f four beatles and they're tiny little graphics but somehow you know who they are they've only yeah it's the hair it's the eyes shape of the face and it's like oh yeah that's the beatles um and it's weird how teletext could be used in that way to sort of almost it's it's about sort of the absence um you know it's about the space between the pixels as much as anything and using kind of sort of uh um you know black space or an absence of graphics to sort of suggest things and how the brain fills in the gaps you just have to kind of um give the brain enough information providing it's a familiar enough thing like i did another one i think of various doctor who's again very very tiny graphics just sort of little icons um but I think because we're so familiar with them that the, the brain does a huge chunk of the work um but you know it became uh, it, it digitized it was a sort of very visual um section it was probably the most visual section on teletext because i was working on it so we always had these characters and these pages with with huge graphics and things which no one else got you know everyone else would kind of come up to me and go oh quick i need a icon of a palm tree which is the classic or a pelican or something like that and you know i'd knock that out and they'd stick that in the corner of their page whereas on digitizer would have these huge images of things with like tentacles coming out of their mouths and footballs for eyes and things so you know i just went to town with it yeah, and um, the one of the main characters would be Turn of the Worm.
well yeah well yeah he was um he was the on the kids session that was that was again something i pitched at the same time that i pitched um digitizer to the editor in fact i don't even think i pitched it i just did one one day and said what about this because i'd loved 40 the dog and barney's bunch uh i in teletext didn't have a comic strip at the time so um so again they just said all right yeah you do that there wasn't even any discussion about it they just said okay we'll stick that on that page there wasn't a, a big deal um i mean i loved doing turner but they were really time consuming those full page graphics um you know which and i i used to write the stories as well and i used to write them really to dependent on what i fancy drawing so you know we did time travel and you know post-apocalyptic stories and you know going to other planets and dinosaurs and things just because of i'll be like oh i want to have a go at a teletext dinosaur i want to have a go at a teletext you know hellscape fallen city or something like that but um yeah i mean i don't know how how the audience ever kind of put up with it because it wasn't daily it was weekly um you know so there was no momentum <laughs> whatsoever but uh you know people remember it yeah and it, it, it so the, the the stories that you had were they um were they, were they sort of like back from your days of um you know dungeons and dragons and all that were they were they were they stories that were rekindled from the past or were they very much of the moment uh i just made them up as i went along i mean they weren't you know they were it was quite sort of sci-fi turn of the worm uh, I mean, yeah, quite a few of those have been recovered now, and um, there's some good gags in them. There were a lot of sort of parodies of things, like parodies of the X Files and Doctor Who and Jurassic Park and stuff. And I'd normally start from that point of view, and then we'd always have the a Christmas episode. I love doing the Christmas episodes um, or the Christmas storylines, which would always end exactly the same way, where it was Turn the Worm and his friend Glug the Slug there'd be a knock at the door at the end and terry turkey would turn up oh no they'd always they'd always end up they'd always end up ha spoiling their christmas dinner somehow and then yeah they'd get a knock at the door from terry turkey and the last shot of them would be turner and glug eating terry turkey um <laughs> every no one ever complained i mean it was like lit, it was really macabre <laughs> oh, um, that's amazing so um with with um uh uh, digitizer and, and turn of the worm what was it what was a typical day like working at working at teletext um well this i mean the, the big trouble was for me teletext graphics didn't take me very long which is why you know the bulk of my day would be taken up with digitizer you know with someone occasionally coming across to me and saying you know i need a graphic for this or a graphic for that and you know i'll do that bash it out in five minutes send it across to them on the internal messaging system uh, and then carry on with writing game reviews and messing about with tim moore uh really um but i mean it sort of shows you that when because eventually i started doing digitizer from home full full time effectively from home myself without doing the graphics as well and when that happened I was able to finish my day's work in an hour, uh, which shows you sort of how much, how much of my day was taken up with just messing around uh, with Tim, uh, because there was not a lot to do, uh, you know. Because yeah, we had to play the games, we had to kind of go out and do 
um, you, you know, research articles or whatever, or do interviews or kind of reports on places. But, you know, you might do one of those a week or once a fortnight or something like that. Um, you know, and we always pretty much, we had this kind of rule of getting Christmas done really early. So we would get everything done in December before the end of November every year uh, and then have nothing to do. <laughs> I mean, I really sound lazy, but <laughs> it didn't feel lazy at the time. Um, it was a lot of fun, but yeah, maybe too much fun. <laughs> so speaking of too much fun, were there any junkets or anything that you had to go on at the time? For uh, because the digitizer was quite held in quite high regard when that came to um, reviewing games. Some some people took it very seriously indeed. Well. Yeah, it might have been held in high regard with certain sections of, of the uh, gaming, but not necessarily within the games industry. But we we did kind of get ourselves invited to things begrudgingly by most people. And we were friends as well with Violet Berlin, who uh, was a big digitizer fan and uh, kind of forced her friendship upon us. Not that we ever regretted it, because she's lovely and she's you know one of my oldest friends now. But... Um, she used to get us invited to things. We basically sort of, you know, surfed through the, the 90s games industry on her coattails. Um, so we went to, God, I mean, so many. I remember there's a big Nintendo party with, uh, um, in Hammersmith. Um, I mean, the first one we went to was the Sonic 2 launch at Hamleys in London, which was, you know, for me, it was like a whole new world. Because, I mean, this well, was at a party full of all these celebs. You know, they'd open Hamleys especially for us, you know, red carpets and things. Um, it was bizarre. Um, and, you know, yeah, most of these things, we used to just, you know, make the most of it. We were men in their 20s, you know, kind of being offered free beer and goodie bags and, you know, surrounded by celebrities and the like. So, you know, we used to... Uh, take it in turns to stroke celebrities' backs. At <laughs> 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 this game where you had to make the celebrity turn round by stroking their back, um, but not get caught. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I remember doing it to who did I do it to? I think I did it to. I remember doing it to Tony Robinson. Um, did it to uh, Tucker Jenkins, Todd Carty, um, Right Stead Fred. Uh, we dropped a whoopee cushion on John Leslie's head um, <laughs> from a balcony. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry, I digress. <laughs> With your time at Digitizer, when, um, when was the direction of travel sort of changing for Teletext? When Did you get an inclination that... Um, that things were going to change um, with, with, with teletext at any time at all? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the internet. I mean, it was fairly early on. I remember the moment we we uh, we had a we had a hook up with Future Publishing, who used to give us give away. Um, we used to give away subscriptions to their magazines for like a letter of the week in our weekly hot topic on our letters page, and I remember the guy who was the publisher of uh, at future was the top guy came in and i remember him saying to us you guys need to get on the internet it's going to be big you know this is shows how long ago it was and we had we had in the office 
one computer that could access the internet. Um, and we occasionally went in there and tried to sort of get on a bulletin board and, you know, but it was really slow. And then gradually, you know, the whole office got online. I remember playing some multi-user dungeon role-playing game on there when I was meant to be working during office hours. Uh, and yeah, research, exactly, exactly. And the big changes came, I guess, when Teletext launched its um, launched its website and they sent me off to sort of learn HTML and Photoshop and all of that. And, you know, I, I was sort of helped set that up uh, and design all the, the pages for that. But that that was the time because then, and it felt probably quite rightly that certain people within the company felt that, as you say, that was the direction of travel, that teletext was gonna was already starting to be sort of superseded by this new thing but i think as history has kind of proven you know teletext perhaps didn't move fast enough or the people who were involved didn't uh, stay at the company moved elsewhere and those left behind you know didn't have the same sort of clarity of, of the future so um so yeah so that was it really when it, but weirdly even when they had their website it sort of felt a bit like an afterthought to me you know we didn't put as much into the 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 digitizer the pages on the website as we did on digitizer on teletext because you know digitizer on teletext at its height was getting one and a half million views a week and you know compared to i don't know what twenty thousand or something on the website but it's a chicken and egg thing you know maybe if we'd concentrated a bit more on the website version then maybe we'd have got more eyes on it but i don't know it was a bit of an afterthought um yeah i, yeah. I, I always um think um that the, the the tv that you're viewing teletext on is also the tv that you plug in the uh, mega drive into uh, where, yes with the pc it's very much a it's its own sort of like self-contained thing isn't it you know you only yeah. use it to go on the internet so what you know would you really be looking at news and things like that? You'd be like, you know, do, you know, doing gaming and, and not really looking at other things, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think back then, I just think back then, it, it was at least when Teletext started the their website, it was still kind of very much a curiosity. I mean, I do remember... I think we had our launch or the launch of it. Or we went out for dinner or something. I remember going to a cyber cafe, you know, remember those? Uh, but it, I don't know. It still didn't feel like it was because not everyone had PCs back then. You know, it wasn't the time when everyone had a laptop. Everyone had a phone that they could get online. So I, I guess perhaps I didn't you know, have, have, have the vision that some people did. I didn't sort of kind of think, well, this is going to be for everyone. This is just going to be for kind of nerds, which, you know, is stupid of me, given that, uh, you know, Digi was for sort of nerds and gamers and the like, the exact same people who would drive the internet <laughs> to what it became. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it was that, you know, there were no smartphones and things. So it, it, the internet wasn't, universal like it is today mm, yeah. so um what was um 
I guess we're going to come and ask you about the final days of um, of digitizer now as there uh, there are there are some particular bits of artwork there that do uh, sort of live in live in legend would you be able to elaborate on them in, in any way <laughs> could you possibly be meaning the real turn of the worm uh yes that's going to be on my headstone when i die i swear to god <laughs> get, get it banned from the cemetery uh <laughs> So what was the story uh, around that? Was there, were, were you trying to slip sort of um, subtle things past other people um, doing doing QC on your site or something? Was that the... Uh... Uh, uh, well, I mean, Digi always was kind of a bit near the knuckle anyway. I mean, it, it was... Early on, it wasn't. I mean, we were just silly and surreal. But the sub-editors didn't always get our sense of humour and would sometimes read stuff into it that wasn't there. Um, and the more they did that, the more we saw it as a challenge to get <laughs> kind of slightly dodgy content uh, in a very sort of nudge-nudge, wink-wink kind of way. Um, because it was like, well, you know, you think we're doing this stuff already. Well, okay, well, how about this then? And none of the dodgy stuff ever got taken off because um, they never they went over their heads. And that includes the real turn of the worm being sick, which was, you know, my final graphic that I did for Teletext. And it was literally, you know, because I thought, well, I've, you know, I've got to do something memorable. Well, OK, let's have an ejaculated penis and say it's turn of the worm. But they're never going to pass it. I'll put it on the page and let's just see what happens. They're not going to say yes to this. They're going to, this is going to be the one that they go, no. But I just thought... I'll chance my arm because let's face it. What are they going to do? Fire me? <laughs> it's like I've left. I've quit already. <laughs> so I did it, and then uh, yeah, uh, it went out. <laughs> Big purple member with white vomit splashed all over the screen. Yes, he looked like he drank too much milk, if I remember. Uh, yes, he had a few, it, but, um, few too it, many white Russians, yeah. <laughs> yes. so to speak. Yes, yeah, certainly. <laughs> that's one way of it, for sure. Um, so it is, it's, it's amazing that that's, um, it was done on a on, on a format that was never really meant to be archived, uh, you know, and, and yet the, you know, with technology, your work is now coming back onto the internet, and it's... Uh, you know, it's really because your your work with Steve's and Tim's was so memorable um, that people, you know, sought it out. And I know that, you know, there are, are people like um, on, on the Super Page 58 that have been um, archiving a lot of your stuff and got the ball rolling for a lot of other people. So uh, how, how do you feel when you see other people, um, you know, find your work and, and be dead pleased about archiving it? Well, it, I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's it's brilliant because I thought all that stuff was gone forever. You know, it was 10 years of my life writing that and I never thought I'd see any of that again. And um, so from that point of view, and of course it's incredibly flattering that people want to archive it, that they think it's worth archiving and worth, you know, preserving. Uh, but at the same time, I sometimes look at it and I kind of go, uh yeah maybe it was bare off left left of the memory and the rose tinted spectacles <laughs> you know, and the, maybe it wasn't yeah i was a, i was a young man and I, i'm a better writer now than i was then and i think i'm a funnier writer and i sometimes look at it and cringe and then some of it 
hasn't aged well you know it was a different time and there are bits and pieces that that i kind of go oh god no i wouldn't write that now um you know that might not be seen as politically correct yeah i'm yet to be cancelled um but you know i hope people understand that it was 30 years ago um and but um but broadly i'm uh you know it's it's i'm proud of what we did for whatever reason digitizer endured and digitizer is something that people remember fondly um yeah i actually enough, <laughs> uh, i don't ever ever um search for my name online uh, and I did last week, and I can't remember the reason why I did it. I was looking for something specific, and I can't remember what. And I found a tweet that someone had done, who um, he he had um, called me a, called me a, an absolute shit house uh, because uh, I had said something years ago. I was basically, he described me as his childhood hero, and what a disappointment I was. This was on Twitter. Uh, an absolute shit of a human being because I've made some comment back when that Nazi got punched years ago about how I was uncomfortable with everyone kind of whooping and clapping and going, yeah, we should all go and punch Nazis. I'm not against punching Nazis if they deserve it. You know, if you're going to punch anyone, punch a Nazi. But there was something about it at the time that I just found a bit distasteful. I can't remember what it was. I've forgotten about it. It was like six years ago or something like that. Anyway, um, this guy was basically, you know, shitting on my name, saying that, you know, Mr. Biffo thinks it's all right to punch Nazis. They were his words. It's extreme kind of distortion of what I'd actually said. Um, and yet he'd... Um, He's, he's, uh, he was still enough of a fan that he'd stolen some Teletext art that I'd done recently for his Twitter banner and his uh, profile picture. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I did point this out to him and said, uh, you know, I think you've slightly mis uh, distorted what I said, but, um, but hey, you're still enough of a fan to steal my artwork, so I consider that a win. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I thought I'd just throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, I generally stay off of getting involved in any kind of internet sort of discourse on any anything. I mean, I, I've had a few pops at Elon Musk recently, but even that I've just given up with because you just, you know, especially on social media, you can't, There's, it's not the place to have any kind of reasoned debate about anything. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's no point. So I stay away from all that. Yeah, you know, I I'm not advocating punching or not punching Nazis one way or another. <laughs> not anymore. So, so you mentioned your writing. Did you go on and do any more writing uh, uh, for for any other projects at all? Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I do now. I mean, I kind of after I left Teletext, it, it, well, while I was still writing Digitizer from Home, that was my uh, goal was to sort of get into writing for TV, which it took a five years or so um but i did and then you know that's what i've been doing for the last jesus 25 years something like that on and off uh you know mostly on um you know we've got a, i've done all right i've had a few series produced of my own i've um uh had some bafta nominations run a royal television society award and things so yeah i mean i've done eastenders sooty uh, my parents are aliens four o'clock club um you name it really uh so 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like most things, it got hit by COVID, most industries, and TV took longer to recover than most. So it's been a, a, a interesting couple of years, but it finally seems to be, um, you know, green shoots on the horizon, thank God. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. I don't consider myself a graphic designer or anything like that at all. I don't consider myself a journalist. I'm a, I'm a screenwriter now and have been for, you know, almost half my life. You know, yet it's still always going to be digitizer that I'm remembered for by most people. I, ironically, it's, it's my Sergeant guy. Pepper. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'll always be that bloke from Teletext. I know that. Um, I'm well aware that that you know, as I say, it's my Sergeant Pepper. It'll it'll follow me to the grave. You know, if anyone, if I'm ever uh, considered notable enough for an obituary, then um, that'll be you know the top line. <laughs> So, um, so about the writing then, how does, a, how, how does the creative process work? I mean, um, you've written for My Parents Are Aliens, EastEnders, uh, Sooty, and, 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 and you've done a, done a film or two as well. Um, how does that creative process start? Do you actually just like sit at a table and have a think, or, or do you go for a walk? Do you have any tricks about that at all? What I find is the greatest motivator of all is having a mortgage to pay. Um, it's literally that. I've never once suffered from any kind of writer's block. I get days where it doesn't flow, the ideas don't flow, where I'll have a script in front of me and I'll just write the same scene over and over and over and over all day. Um, but the next day will probably be better. Uh, I've never had like any long, protracted, drawn-out um, spell of the inspiration drying up. And that is, you know, it's not very romantic and it's not very kind of, you know, the sexy sort of version of writing. But the fact of the matter is I write for a living and, and I don't dress it up as anything other than a job. Um, yeah, there's... T- that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. You know, I'm lucky enough to have a job that I enjoy mostly. Um, some days it's like pulling teeth, but, um, but you know, it's a bit like, to me, the creative aspect of it, 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 it just feels like a skill in the same way that someone can type, someone can bake, someone can drive a bus. It doesn't, you know, I, th- I think writers... Uh, an artist in general will often I'm, I'm going to say get a bit wanky about their process and their art um, but really writing is it's like building a machine you know a script is like putting components together in the right order uh, and making sure it all works and functions it's very mechanical in a lot of ways um, you know when it's when it's going well you know it's it's exhilarating i find it you know like flying when i'm when i'm really on a roll with something i'm writing but i don't you know i I do think too many writers or at least would-be writers not those that that literally are at the coalface and write to pay their bills i think too many would-be writers sort of see it as you know i don't know wandering on a windswept moor with a pad and a pencil and chewing on the end of the pencil and kind of you know staring off into the middle distance and you know dreaming up characters and it's it's no it's not you sit down with a blank page and start to write and you think of things to write about that's it and then you rewrite that thing to make it better Um, yeah that's as i say it's a bit of a i don't know if that sounds cynical or overly pragmatic but that's how it works for me 
yeah, right with writing, I've always had ideas as a kid. I was always creative as a kid, but you still have to learn how to write a screenplay. It isn't you can't just start write a stream of consciousness. You do need to understand the the mechanics of it and the structure of it and the rules of it really because um there are rules same as there are with you know electrical engineering or or plumbing or something like that you know you can't just sort of rock up with you know a, a spanner at someone's house and kind of go yeah i'll fix it um let's have a look <laughs> you, you need I'm to very, know what you're doing I'm very passionate about this therefore it will work <laughs> yeah let me let me let me go and wander on the moor for a bit and think about pipes um <laughs> That's going on the poster. But, uh, <laughs> you you have a YouTube channel as well, which um, which goes off in in, in many directions, and uh, that, yes. that's always uh, worth a look. Do you, do you have any more projects um, upcoming for, for for your Digitizer YouTube channel? Uh, yeah, I mean it's been a weird thing that Digitizer being on YouTube because we started out as you'd expect, sort of doing video games. And then I got bored doing video games. Um, now it's, uh, now I don't know what it is. It's, it's me and my wife who, who are now funding it because when lockdown happened, she was sort of nearby and, um, you know, an easy, easily accessible co-host. Um, but she's great. And, you know, I love doing it with us. So we, we, I hope it captures the spirit of Digitizer without being about video games. Um, you know, it took me a while to be comfortable in front of the camera and, you know, now it, it's just second nature. But I really enjoy it. and We've got a really um, passionate audience now. And really an, an audience largely that a lot of them don't uh, remember Teletext Digitizer or had no experience of it they just know digitizer from youtube which is you know bizarre really when you think about it given how how big digi was back in the day um yeah we're a small channel but as i say the the i'd rather be a small cult channel with an audience that is hugely supportive of us than a big channel you know made up of people who don't really care one way or another um, so we're doing because next year it's the 30th anniversary of Teletext and of course Digitizer. So we're we're celebrating that in a big way. We've got a series coming out called Digi Level Two, which we crowdfunded, um, which will be dripping with Teletext graphics and uh, Teletext-based animations and all the Digitizer characters. Just started animating that um, in the last few weeks um and we've got next year to celebrate the 30th anniversary of all things digitizer so from 1993 up to 2023 so that means the teletext era through to youtube um we've got a big teletext or digitizer weekend uh in july that we're um just about to, well imminently going to be putting tickets on sale for that and we're doing two nights or it's going to be kind of two days um really because there's going to be events during the day so 28th and 29th of july um uh, but i can't say what the events will be yet because we're we're lit we've literally been exchanging emails with um people today about exactly what it's going to be before we put tickets on sale but i mean madly i, I announced it the other day to, and sort of said save the date and people have started booking hotels already it's like well hang on wait a minute wait a minute it's, it's not confirmed yet <laughs> i was just saying save the date calm down 
Um, I mean, it will happen. We will be doing it, but um, you know whether we'll sell out both nights, I doubt. But um, but it'd be nice if we did to have a whole bunch of people there who, who want to celebrate with us. So yeah, that's that's everything. It's on my on my schedule at the moment. I think in terms of sort of what's happening, digi YouTube and live wise. But um, we may do some other things next year with regard to the thirtieth thirtieth anniversary. Um, but uh, TBC. So just just uh, finally about teletexting, what would be your your, your most enduring memory of of uh, working uh, at teletext? Well, there's probably a few. Um, I mean, working with Tim Moore was special. Uh, in fact, I mean, we I chatted to him today, funny enough. You know, we're still in touch. Um, I mean, we just laughed so much until we hurt every day. We were so annoying um, to the people around us, but we were just enjoying what we were doing, and that motivated us to do it better. And, you know, I don't want to sound um arrogant but you know other than perhaps bamboozle um digitizer is the sort of one teletext page that has endured you know people still remember it um so we were doing something right people loved it and, and it was just that came from tim and i enjoying writing it and then I, I enjoyed writing it for myself after tim left from home but but those first four years where I worked with Tim were really, really special to me. Um, you know, and I made a friend for life who, you know, I'd turn up at work each day and we'd just try to make each other laugh by writing funny things or I'd do funny graphics. And it was as simple as that. <laughs> so that was that was special. And then, you know, the, the fact that Digitizer was remembered enough that I can be here in you know 2022 now as it is and be contemplating staging a, a live event a weekend next year to celebrate you know its 30th anniversary that's just nuts um and you know some of the live events that we've done uh, you know over the last few years you know I did one with you um you know we've done two big shows in Harrow um which was sold out and the reaction we get and the reception they get, it, it's just, it's such a lovely community that has grown up around it and quite literally grown up around it in some you know, respects because people say, you know, oh, I grew up reading your stuff um, and see me as some sort of, I don't know, weird uncle <laughs> or some substitute parent. I don't know. But there's still a lot of love for it out there and that that is the best thing about the entirety of my association with digitize over the last 30 years is just the love that has endured and the love people seem to have and the affection um you know there are some brilliant brilliant people in our little community before we close up though i feel that you must plug uh, sanya's uh, podcast about marillion as well <laughs> Sanya's podcast about Marillion Brilliant. Uh, yes, my, I have a podcast that I host with Sanya about Marillion, um, uh, which is called Beampod or Between You and Me. You can find it. Look, a lot of the time we don't even talk about Marillion. We it's us, so we just go off at tangents and um, upset our listeners by uh, saying things that are probably a bit near the knuckle how upsetting the band as we have done on multiple occasions <laughs> <laughs> by being deeply disrespectful um yeah 
So, so where where can we find your um, where where can we find the Digitizer channel on YouTube? Uh, just do a search for Digitizer with an S, not a Z. That's often uh, the mistake that people make. Digitizer with an S, British spelling. So uh, just do a search for it on on YouTube, and uh, you will find us and the the cave of wonders that await. Yeah, well, that, that, that's been absolutely brilliant, uh, Paul. Thanks very much for joining. You're me. very welcome, Carl. I've enjoyed it very much. Oh, it's been lovely talking to you, Paul Rose. There. And thanks again to Paul for appearing on this episode of Teletext People. Teletext People is a buy high no limit production and it's hosted by me, Carl Attrell. If you want to help out, you can do by looking in the program notes. You can also rate this podcast if you uh, feel inclined to. You can also buy me a coffee in the links. It's a very minimal donation should you feel the uh, inclination to do so. But any money that I do take from this will only go exclusively to paying for the the podcast space that I use on Podbean to host these uh, podcasts. So that's all the housekeeping over and done with. And until next time, I'll catch you soon. Uh, Keep it blocky. (laughs) 